So I was in elementary school. Is this on? Can you hear me? Okay. I was in elementary school uh, when I experienced my first crush. You guys remember your first crush? She was, so she was a year older, as far as I can remember, it's a long time ago, but she was a year older than me, and we were in a small Seventh Avenue Christian school, and so we had two grades in one room, so she and I were in the same room, and her father was one of the pastors in the area, and he would come from time to time and do worships, but other than that, I didn't know anything else about this girl. Um, I didn't, we didn't play together. We didn't eat meals together. We didn't have the same friends, and we really didn't talk. Maybe I said hi to her. Maybe. Um, but <clears throat> as I sat in that classroom and I looked across as she sat at her desk and, and did her homework, I knew she was special. And the reason I knew, the way that I knew she was special is because I felt it. There was stuff happening inside of here. And I didn't really know how to explain that. I, I didn't know how to put words to it. But I, it's, it's real. In fact, I can, I mean, it's been years later, and I can still remember that feeling when she was around. Now, I never told her, of course, about my feelings. But <clears throat> on Valentine's Day that year, she came to school with a Valentine's card for me. She gave me a Valentine's card. And I took this Valentine's card, and I opened it up, and there was this, I don't know, I don't really even remember what it said, but I'm pretty sure there was a generic message. And I found that, it, you know, I just found myself just wanting, pretending to think that she meant every word just for me. Now, as fun as it was to think that she was actually into me, um, I couldn't escape the fact that she also brought everyone else in the class a Valentine's card. Girls and guys, everyone got a Valentine's Probably her parents said, hey, you're going to give everyone a card. And even the people you don't know, like me. And so I ended up getting a card just because she was being nice. Um, <clears throat> you know, as I think back on that experience, I'm actually glad that she wasn't into me. Because I wasn't ready for anyone to be into me like that. I was like seven or eight years old. What was I going to do with someone if they, were, if they were really into me? I mean, probably if she was really into me, I would have gotten embarrassed. Probably I would have avoided her. Um, chances are I would have, even if I could have talked to her, chances are I would have chosen recess over talking to her about our feelings. She would have gotten hurt, broke her heart. It would have been bad. Um, before I could experience a healthy, committed, romantic relationship, I had some growing up to do. It turns out I had a lot of growing up to do. Um, and it would, it would take time before I'd be ready to be in a romantic relationship. When someone is seven years old and you have to pull them aside and you say, hey, look, it's going to take a lot of time before you can be ready for a romantic relationship, that's a pretty easy pill to swallow. When you're seven, there's a lot of other things going on. You don't know yourself. You're not taking care of yourself. Okay, yeah, probably a good idea that I not be thinking seriously about marriage at this point in my life. But when someone is 17 years old and there are strong desires that are coming up, and you have language to express those desires, telling that person, hey, you may need to wait. You may need to wait to experience physical intimacy. 
You may need to wait to call forth these romantic emotions. Maybe now's not the right time. When those emotions are so strong, it's much more difficult to accept that idea that perhaps waiting is a good, good idea. The problem is, is that we are capable, God has created us with the capacity to have strong desires for all kinds of different things, but just because we have those strong desires at that moment in time does not mean that it's the right time to have those desires fulfilled, right? I mean, you can feel like eating, but it doesn't necessarily mean that's a good idea for you right now, right? You can feel like doing a variety of different things, But just because we have the capacity to feel that in the moment, it does not indicate that this is a good choice. Like you might want to buy something. It's a terrible choice to buy that. But you might want to have that feeling. You might have that feeling. You, oh, I want to do that. It would be a bad choice. We, We are able to feel things that are not good for us to experience in that moment. Well, this February, we've been talking about uh, romance. Romance God's way. February is the, the love month, right? Um, and where we celebrate Valentine's Day. And so uh, Pastor Brandon got us kicked, us off, got us kicked off on this uh, topic last week. Um, so we're going to co- talk about it a couple more uh, times, this being one, and we'll finish up next week. Just, just a three-part series uh, on romance God's way. Now, some people have this idea <clears throat> that that physical intimacy, that the delights, I'm going to be careful how I say these things so that everyone can be comfortable here, um, no matter what their age is, but the delights of marriage. When we think about those things, physical intimacy, closeness, the butterflies, the feelings, the intense passion. Sometimes we have this idea that these types of things are not spiritual. That, like, you know, a good Christian person is, is not going to feel those things. It's <laughs> not going to be interested in the delights of marriage. Like, yeah, you can be a Christian person, but, and, and if you, you know, happen to have children also, well, okay, that's probably a part of it too. We, we have kind of this idea that it's separate from the spiritual life. And it may come as a surprise to people who have not read the Bible, don't know the Bible, that an entire book has been dedicated to erotic love. Yeah, Pastor Brandon started us off on it. You know, how many times have you heard a sermon on the Song of Solomon? Well, this month you're going to hear two. Um, two messages on the Song of Solomon. <clears throat> Here we go. Um, now, I, I want to realize, too, that as we talk about this, um, that people, perhaps, you know, like me, you have been hurt by romantic love. Your heart's been broken. You ever have, got your heart broken? Um, romantic love can be painful. Um, it, it can hurt. And so I want to recognize that, but I also want to take a look at a teaching here from the book of Song of Solomon that is really powerful because it shows that no matter who you are, if you are willing to do things God's way, he shows us how we can experience the love that he has created for us to crave. This romantic love, this closeness, this passion, this intimacy that he has placed within our hearts. He can show us how to experience that if we're willing to do it his way. All right, the title of the message this morning is Waiting for Love. And before we get into this teaching, I want to pause for prayer and ask God to lead us. Heavenly Father, you know our desires take us different directions, and sometimes they're not good directions. 
So I pray that we would have ears to hear what you have to say to us. May, may you speak words of life to us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Um, the, the text that we're going to be looking at is Song of Solomon, chapter 2 and verse 7. And I encourage you to open this up in, in your pew Bible or whatever Bible you'd like to use. The pew Bible, have it up on the screen there. It's page 673. Um, go ahead and go there, please. As you're headed there, I'd just like to make an observation that when we really want something, when you desire something really, really bad, it's tough to wait for it. <laughs> like when you really want something, when you, when you feel like just attracted and you, oh, you really want that, the idea of waiting for it at that moment is really hard. It's really difficult unless, well, it's still difficult, but something that makes it a whole lot easier and a whole lot more doable is if you have a good reason to wait. A good reason. Having a good reason makes it so much more doable to wait. Suppose for a moment that you were invited to a dinner, special dinner, and you happen to know that at this dinner, when this dinner arrives, that there's going to be amazing food. I mean, maybe you can think of Thanksgiving or, or a special banquet. But you know, that there's going to be a, a variety of food. It's going, to be, it's going to be really amazing. There's going to be different entrees. There's going to be delicious desserts. It is going to be a feast. You know that, that when you go there, there's going to be more food than you can possibly eat in one sitting. And so you've got a little strategy going. When you wake up in the morning, you're like, oh, I'm not going to eat too much breakfast. I'm not going to eat too much lunch because I want to make sure that I can fully take advantage of this feast that's coming up later on this evening, this dinner. I want to make sure that I have the capacity to receive as much food as possible. And so your, your plan is going well, but as the afternoon rolls on, maybe you're an hour or two away from the dinner appointment. You've been abstaining from eating as much as you normally would. And at that moment, you see something to snack on. And you're hungry. You've gotten pretty hungry by this point. And you're tempted by this snack. Chances are, if you have it clear in your mind that that dinner is going to be unbelievable and it's going to have plenty of food, it's going to be a feast, chances are you'll have the power, you'll be able to summon the willpower to not ruin your appetite. Why? Because you have a good reason to say no to that temptation, right? Well, in the Song of Solomon, there are two people who have found a good reason to wait. They've waited for each other. They've kept themselves pure. They've saved themselves. And now, the Song of Songs, the Song of Solomon, this is what is sung on the wedding day. The wedding day has arrived, and now the bride and the groom are just flush with emotion, and they're singing these wonderful words of poetry, these expressions that are, could make some of us blush as we read this in public or maybe even private. These are, these are very forthright expressions of the delights of marital love. And as these two, as, as the groom and the bride, as these, as these individuals are singing this poetic, I mean, this, this, this poetry of love, the bride stops in the middle of all of this, this adoration for, for how lovely her, her groom, her, her, her fiancé, her, the man who's gonna be, she's going to marry, how lovely he is, she stops and she turns to her single attendants, 
the, the ladies that are, are attending her, they're single, she stops in the, in the song and, and she turns towards them and she gives this piece of advice. Song of Solomon, chapter 2, verse 7. Daughters of Jerusalem, I charge you by the gazelles and by the does of the field, do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires. Listen closely, single people. Do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires. That phrase here in the New International Version, until it so desires, it can also be translated, literally means until it's the right time. Do not arouse or awaken love until the time is right. And the context of this song indicates that the time for arousing and awakening love for the bride and the groom is right. I mean, what, if, if you read the Song of Solomon, the things that this bride and this groom are saying to each other, it's, there's no guesswork there. I mean, they are really into each other. They are adoring body parts, and they are welcoming each other into each other. She is like, hey, come to the bed where I was conceived. He is saying, you are lovely. And he goes on to describe her loveliness in great detail. And they are calling out these emotions. They are certainly, throughout this whole song, these, this groom and bride in poetic language, in song, are calling out. They are arousing. They are holding no punches. They are awakening love. Because it's the right time. It's marriage. It's time to get married. And that is the time, married folks, to arouse and awaken love. Amen. It is. Yes. Physical intimacy is something that God has created. He wants for you. If you are married, he wants for you to arouse and awaken love. But she's saying, whoa, whoa, whoa. This is, this is unbelievable. We are flush with emotion. This is amazing. Hold up. Single people. Wait. Do not arouse or awaken love until it's the right time. <clears throat> when she says, I charge you, if you look at there, there in, in verse 7, daughters of Jerusalem, I charge you, she's, she's borrowing language that is used for making oaths. When people would make a solemn oath, in other words, a commitment that they had no intention of ever breaking, they would use this language. She says, I charge you. In other words, she's saying, solemnly swear. We, use it, we usually think of that on the marriage vows. But, he's, but she's saying, hey, before you get married, solemnly swear not to do this. And to add extra weight to this charge, to this, this um, oath that she's calling upon single people to make. She says, I charge you by the gazelles and the does of the field. Now that's something, hey, what do you say after that? I mean, Okay, but for, so for us today, um, what does that mean? All right, so the gazelles and the does of the field, this, this is what, these were symbols of love. These were symbols of, of beauty, of, yeah, of love. But also, it's really interesting that the Hebrew words used, that are translated, that, that are used um, to, to, to describe gazelles and does, those same Hebrew words sound very much like the names for God himself. She's saying these symbols of love, which sound a whole lot like the same, the names for God himself. I'm 
I'm going to the highest of authority is basically what she's saying. I'm charging you by the one who made love, the one who came up with this whole idea of erotic love, of the delights of marriage. I charge you by him. For God's sake, she's saying, don't arouse or awaken love until it's the right time. As we consider who the groom is in this story, in this song, rather, it's clear that the bride had good reason to wait. The book is called The Song of Songs or The Song of Solomon. And the reason it's called The Song of Solomon is because in chapter 1, verse 1, it says that this is Solomon's Song of Songs. The Bible tells us in 1 Kings that, that Solomon sang 1,005 different songs, and this is certainly one of them. We, we have good reason to believe that it's Solomon that she is singing to. We find his name seven different times in this book. The, the opulence of this book is indicative of a person like Solomon who is immensely wealthy. The luxurious settings that are talked about, the jewelry, the, the carriage that is, that is described in this, in this song, it, it points to Solomon. In, in fact, um, another indicator is, is in uh, chapter 6. The bride here is called the Shulamite, the Shulamite, which basically translated means Mrs. Solomon. All these indicators that, that it is Solomon that is, the, that is the, the groom and that it is Mrs. Solomon, the, the daughter of, one of the daughters of Pharaoh, this is who he married, that is singing to Solomon. I mean, you, for a woman in Jerusalem, the most eligible bachelor is the king, King Solomon. I mean, he is the grand prize. I'm sure there were no shortage of women lining up to get his attention, hoping to be Mrs. Solomon. <clears throat> now, I realize that some of you might be thinking, hang on, wait, 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 Pastor Brian, hang on. Isn't Solomon the one that had like a thousand wives and concubines? Who would want to line up to be just another number in this guy's harem? Let me tell you, that is true. But that happened later on in his reign. The Bible tells us that when Solomon first got married, this is the song that, was, that it was about. In this, in this wedding, this woman that he marries, this, this daughter of Pharaoh, he lived in a monogamous relationship with her for about 20 years, over 20 years. She was his one and only. And then later he got, he, he made some bad choices. But, for, but this, was, this is what it was about. They had waited for, Solomon had waited. He'd kept himself pure. Mrs. Solomon, this daughter of Pharaoh, she'd kept herself pure. And now here comes the time. And she is saying, it is worth the wait. It is wonderful. They are just extolling the goodness of marriage and, and the closeness of intimacy and, and, and all these wonderful things. But there's a reason that she stops in that moment and she says, hold up everything. E everyone, hold up. Single people, ladies, listen up. Do not awaken or arouse love until it's the right time. Why does she say that? <clears throat> I would suggest to you that the reason she is saying this is because it's hard to wait. It's hard because waiting goes against our desires. I mean, let's face it, by the time 
many people are ready to get married, they've already experienced the desire for marital physical intimacy, right? I mean, let's just put that on the table. And so she is saying, hey, those desires come up. And let me just tell you, wait, wait, it's tough, but wait. We... When in our teenage years, we, we especially, all, really all throughout life, I mean, we, we can have these feelings of strong attraction. And there's also cultural messages that say, you don't have to be married. You don't have to wait for marriage. Strong cultural messages, right? And the message is, if it feels right, if you feel like you're in love, if your feelings are there, then that is an indicator of what is right for you. <coughs> So she's going against cultural messages today. She's going against the natural feelings that everyone throughout human history has felt. He's saying, wait for it. Outside of marriage, physical intimacy outside of marriage, she's saying, wait for it because when this is engaged in outside of marriage, it can cause a lot of damage. (coughs) Excuse me. There's a lot of research on this, that during the act of physical intimacy, the body produces a chemical called oxytocin. Ladies actually produce more of this than men do. And oxytocin does a variety of things. (coughs) Excuse me. That good feeling that you get, that loving feeling, that's oxytocin. It creates this warmth. It creates connection. And so during the act of physical intimacy, the body produces oxytocin. It produces this hormone to pull people together, to bond them together. If we were to compare a relationship to a rope, oxytocin is what makes the strands of the rope strong. Oxytocin is in us. It's created, God created us to produce this so that we would form strong bonds. And the purpose is that when, this, when oxytocin is, is made, it leads people to monogamous relationships. It leads people to be exclusive. It's not designed to be broken. Oxytocin establishes bonds that are intended to last. And that's why when people engage in physical intimacy and, and, are, and it doesn't last, it's deeply painful. It, there's a ripping apart. That's why we call it a breakup. And not, not everyone who breaks up is engaged in physical. Please don't get me wrong. But, but what, what I'm saying is that God has designed us to make a bond through, through physical intimacy that is strong and is not designed to be broken. The intent is that it's exclusive, and it's supposed to last. Awakening feelings of love is great. Like we call it falling in love with love. I mean, it's wonderful. You know, you you receive these these wonderful cards or or these these beautiful statements of declarations of love are made. And and wow, this this is wonderful. It's wonderful to awaken these feelings of love. But without a commitment of marriage, that's a commitment for life, We set ourselves up for pain and heartache if we're making bonds that we don't have the structure to keep those together with. 
That's what marriage is. Between a, a man and a woman, it's, it's intended for life because the bonds that are laid down in that relationship through physical intimacy are never intended to be broken. God didn't design it that way. Last week, Pastor Brandon talked about how God's love is symbolized by fire. He gave a great illustration there. <clears throat> and depending on the context... Fire can be either a wonderful thing or it can be a very destructive thing. On a cold day, fire can just be that thing where you just want to come next to it and it's warm, this nice warm stove. You know, if you wake up in the morning, your house is cold and there's a nice wood-burning stove in the house and, and you can just go and warm up by that. It's a life-giving thing. It's, it's beautiful. It's wonderful. But if that fire gets outside of the stove, outside of this protected place, this fire place, if it gets outside of that, it can get out of control and burn a house down. It can be incredibly destructive. It matters, the context matters. It's the same thing. But when it's in its proper context, it can be life-giving. When it's not in its proper context, it can be destructive, terrible. The same is true with romantic love. With romantic love, in the, in the context of marriage, it can be wonderful and life-giving. I'm not talking about just having children. Yeah, you, you, through romantic love, children are born. Life is brought into this world, and that's a beautiful thing. But also, through, through this physical intimacy, through romantic love, in the context of marriage, it strengthens a marriage. Now, I'm not saying that every time this occurs, it's strengthening. Like, people can be selfish with this expression. But when it's an unselfish expression, when, when it's done out of a desire to serve the other person, it can be life-giving and strengthening to that relationship. It's powerful, beautiful, wonderful. God intends husbands and wives to please each other. <clears throat> But if you're not married, the Bible is telling us in Song of Solomon chapter 2, verse 7, telling us to wait. And what's interesting is that throughout this book, two, different, two other times, in other words, three different times throughout this book, it says the exact same thing. <coughs> Do not arouse or awaken love until it's the right time. It's like she wants for us to get it. Each time she's bringing it up. Hey, listen, it's all wonderful, it's all great, but whoa, whoa, whoa. Do not arouse or awaken love until it's the right time. Three different times in the Song of Solomon, we find this same statement repeated. Now, waiting is a theme throughout the Bible. It's supposed to be a clock up there. Just imagine it. <coughs> Excuse me. Pardon me. I'm, congestion, obviously. Pardon me. Thank you for your uh, grace. Um, waiting is a theme throughout the Bible. Abraham, for example, just throw a few examples. There are many other examples, but Abraham, 75 years old, God says, you are going to be a parent. He is so excited. Him and Sarah, they've been wanting to have children. 75 years old, he gets this promise that he is going to be a parent, and they wait, and they wait, and they wait. 25 years. Abraham's 100, Sarah's 90, and Isaac is born. Here's this one. They waited so long, and when he comes, they laugh. He's just full of joy because through him, they knew that all the families of the earth would be blessed. That was an indication that through him, the Messiah would come. In the Exodus story, Israel was in Egypt for years. 
suffering as slaves, hard labor, waiting, crying out to God, waiting until finally Moses comes. And Moses shows up, and then they wait some more. There's the first plague. Pharaoh's like, nah, no big deal. Second plague. Ten plagues, and finally, finally, the waiting is over, and they're able to be set free. From the time of Adam and Eve, after they sinned, after our first parents sinned, God said, there's going to come a deliverer, and he's going to crush the head of the serpent. The serpent's going to bruise his heel. And so Eve waited. There's even an indication in the text that when Eve gave birth to her first child, that she was hoping that that was the Messiah. There was going to be a lot of waiting. (laughs) Yeah. But she was hoping. And in successive generations, whenever a woman, believer in God, gave birth to a male child, there was this hope that maybe this was going to be the Messiah. For thousands of years, generations, humanity waited until the Bible says the fullness of the time was come. And when the fullness of the time had arrived, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. It's Galatians 4. Jesus came. He was born at the right time after all of this waiting. And as he grows up, people continue to wait. Are you the one? Should we wait for another? Waiting. Jesus dies on the cross and finally sets, establishes victory. Establishes victory. Gives us salvation from sin and death. The waiting's over. But even though Jesus has come and he's died on the cross, and there, we, we look back to this incredible expression of God's love and the salvation that he won for us on the cross. We're still waiting, right? We are Seventh-day Adventist Christians. <laughs> we believe in the Advent, and we're waiting. We've been waiting a long time, generations. When is Jesus going to come back? He promised. He promised to come back. He's promised to come and, and, and take us to, to heaven. We're still waiting. And the question is, why all this waiting? Why is it necessary to do all of this waiting? Like, could Jesus come back right now? I mean, the world is getting so Getting. The world is so evil. We want to go to heaven. Why the wait? Here's why. Because being ready takes time. Being ready takes time. God wants for us to be ready. And that readiness takes time. I'd like for you to look at what this says here. This is Revelation chapter 19, verse 7. We talk about Jesus coming to this earth and being united with his people. All throughout the Bible, this is spoken of in marriage language, in wedding language. This is one example in Revelation 19, 7. It says, Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come. The waiting is done. And his bride, notice what it says, his bride has made herself ready. No longer is she an elementary school student who doesn't know what to do with romantic feelings. Now she has made herself ready. And she gets to experience the grand prize, the wedding of the Lamb. Clearly, this is symbolic language. The wedding of the Lamb. That's speaking of Jesus. He is the grand prize. He is the most eligible of any any bachelor, if I could use those terms. 
in a spiritual sense. He is the one that our hearts desire. When he comes back and takes us to himself, takes all who believe to himself to go with him to heaven, that will be the moment where we experience the love our hearts have been longing for, waiting for this ultimate expression of love, where we will be just blessed with the goodness of God for the ceaseless ages of eternity, each moment growing in an understanding of his love for us and just being just amazed by this. And that moment will come when... The bride has made herself ready. If you've ever tried, boy, I'm doing great with my slides today. Um, it's supposed to be a flower up there. If you've ever tried to grow a flowering plant, you know that it takes time, right? It takes time for the roots. Right here, here we go. It takes time for the roots to grow deep so that it can support the plant. It, it takes time for a, a solid stalk to form coming out of the ground so that it can produce beautiful blossoms. It takes time for the leaves necessary to support this kind of thing. To, to be, it takes time for these things. But in order for this to happen, it's not just time. It's not like if we wait long enough, then we're going to get lots of flowers. That's, that's not the way it works. There needs to be other things there. There needs to be water, obviously. There needs to be sunlight, obviously. There needs to be the right soil. We know all these things. But what I'd like to point out is this. All of those things that are needed over time to produce a beautiful flower come from outside of the plant. The seed does not have it in, it in and of itself, everything that it needs to produce a flower. No, it needs soil, it needs water, it needs sunlight. All of these things, it is dependent upon. The plant must wait to receive these things. It must wait to receive the sunlight. It must wait to receive the water. It must wait for someone to come along and till the soil, tend it, pull the weeds out so that it can have good soil to grow its roots. It is dependent upon those things. She has waited. The bride has made herself, I'm going to put that back up there. The bride has made herself, made herself ready. She has been waiting. She has received over time the goodness of God. She has depended upon that. She has trusted in God to give her what she needs to bring her to the place of readiness to receive the ultimate expression of God's love with him forever, without departing, without separating for eternity. The title of this message is Waiting for Love, but let me just make it really clear. I mean, I'm sure many of you know this. God is constantly showing his love to us. He's constantly lavishing his love upon us. If you are not feeling loved right now, pay attention because God is loving you right now. He loves us through nature he loves us through impressions of the heart. He loves us through his word as you read about his passionate desire for you, that he would give everything. Empty all of heaven for us. He loves us. He shows us love through the kindness of other people. He shows us love through his providential working in our life. He is constantly showing love to us. And there is nothing wrong with desiring more of God's love. Listen, one of the expressions of God's love is the capacity to experience romantic intimacy. That's one of the expressions of God's love. 
It's, there's nothing wrong with desiring that. There's nothing wrong with desiring more. Desiring the blessings of success in life. You go to your work and you desire more. You want to have the promotion. You want to be successful at what you do. The success that God blesses us with, that is an expression, that can be an expression of his love. I'm not saying that everyone who is successful has received God's love, but God expresses love through that. There's nothing wrong with desiring a mansion. But even though we desire these things, it may not be the right time. You may have to wait for heaven to get your mansion. And you may have to wait for later to experience these other expressions of God's love. You may have to wait. The problem is, is when we're not willing to wait. When we want to take shortcuts, when we have these desires and we want them fulfilled, we're talking about physical intimacy here. And there's a lot of different ways to fulfill those desires in ways that are going to hurt ourselves, take shortcuts, and cause us to miss out on the blessing of intimacy that God has for us. And so the Bible tells us, wait. Don't cut corners. Just because you feel it doesn't mean it's right. It says in Song of Solomon chapter 2, verse 7, do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires. In other words, it's looking outside of ourselves for the indicator as to when it's right. It's the one who made love. It's when he tells us, now is the right time. I give this to you. Until that happens, wait. <clears throat> if you're single and want to be married this morning, you want to, not, not this morning, but if you're, if you're single this morning and you want to be married, there we go, all right. I want to invite you to trust the one who created that desire in you. Trust him. Song of Solomon, chapter 2, verse 7, is, is saying that, that to, to trust God, it's calling us to trust in him. Now listen, I know that waiting can be tough. You might look at me and say, well, look at you, Pastor Brian. You know, you're fine, right? You, don't, you have your family and all this stuff. Listen, for 10 years, I was a single pastor. You could be in school and have all of these people, all of these options around you, and it can still be pretty complicated, pretty difficult to pick the right one, you know, to, to, to choose wisely and to choose well. It gets a whole lot harder when you get out of school, and now you're in church, and you, you got your own career, and you got your own thing going on, and there's not a lot of young people in church. We get it, young people, we get it. There's not a lot of young people, not a lot of options. Add on top of that being a pastor, and every time I'd even talk to a single lady about the weather, people are like, hmm, I wonder if that's going to work out for him. <laughs> you know, like there's a lot of pressure, right? Um, and, and I just want to tell you that despite all of the obstacles, my, my life is not difficult. Don't, don't let me tell you that. Um, but despite all of the obstacles in my way, God blessed me with a beautiful wife. Beautiful wife. I have these wonderful kids. A week ago, we celebrated 10 years of marriage. Praise God. God knows how to deliver. And I'm so thankful that my wife and I chose to wait. Like what we experience together is wonderful, and, I'm, and I wouldn't want it any other way. And I'm sharing this because sometimes when you're in that place where you're having to wait, it's hard to say, man, is it worth it? But when you get to the place where you have waited and you look back, and you're like, yeah, yeah, it's worth it. And those who haven't waited, there's pain, you know that, and God is able to restore. He just wants to save you. He wants to save you from the pain. Waiting is not easy. Being single and waiting to be married, it's not easy. 
Waiting to be content with life is not easy. Waiting for heaven is not easy. We have desires in our hearts that are not being fulfilled right now. And the Bible teaching is that we can trust God. We can wait. It's hard, but it's worth it. Because by waiting, we become ready. You cannot be ready without waiting. And by waiting, we become ready to receive the blessing of love, the expression of love that God has for us in heaven. And when we wait for him, we'll never be disappointed. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, oh God, thank you. You've waited much longer than any of us. Thank you for your patience. And thank you, God, for your love that gives us strength to wait now. We long to be with you in heaven. And we have other longings too. And as these longings come up, we want to wait on you for the right time. Give us the strength to do this. In Jesus' name, amen.